Well, welcome everyone today. Welcome to the Real People, Real Stories podcast. We have a special guest for you today. A gentleman that has been all over Australia, Sydney. He is a, uh, what you call an economics nerd, as I call him. But he has a name that, I'm gonna, that most people have never heard of as Reza Gilmora. Rez, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good, thanks, Robert. How are you? Thanks Mate. for having me on board. You've got a unique name. That's not Australian. Where did that come from? Oh, look, I, I don't know if you can tell by my accent, but I uh, <laughs> was actually born in India. And um, wow. um, a lot of people think he doesn't look Indian. And um, whilst I don't look Indian, I was born there. My mother was English and she yeah. was born in India and she married an Indian. Oh. Um, but my ancestry goes way, way, way back to the Persian Empire. So, um, yeah, I'm what they call a Parsi, which is of the Zoroastrian faith, which is the oldest monotheistic religion in the world. Predates everything, 2500 BC. But that's another story, Rob, down wow. the track. Wow, so, is... yeah, I'm an Indian and, um, yeah, that's me. you know me. what part of India you were born? I was born in Calcutta yeah. um, in 1963. Yep. And we emigrated to Australia in 1966. So, yeah. That would have been a big leap of faith for your parents. Oh, uh, enormous, uh, Rob, in that my father was a very successful and well-regarded um, business executive with yep. one of India's largest companies mm -hmm. and mum was a school teacher and they lived a great life there mm -hmm. uh, but be, living in Calcutta it was when the annexation of Pakistan or mm -hmm. um, what is it um, uh, yeah Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh it was West pa uh, East Pakistan back then it was when they were becoming their own um, country there was a lot of fighting uh, it was a pretty dangerous part of the world. And my father was um, very good friends with the Australian Consular General uh, there. And um, they got to talking. The guy said, come to Australia, great place, yeah. you know, great climate. And the amazing leap of faith is they came out with zero dollars uh, and going from that level in society to mm. the bottom my father literally, the day we came to Australia, we were out at St Mary's at a friend's place. I slept in a chest of drawers. <laughs> my sister slept on the floor because they had, and my father had to pedal the streets looking for a job. So he's yeah. gone, I guess you could say the equivalent of a, a deputy CEO in a medium to large type firm here to the bottom, a clerk. Yeah, look, that story about people like your parents who yeah. did that leap of faith. And there's, I mean, Australia's been built on people like your parents and people like you too that came out. I mean, we are who we are in our fabric today. We wouldn't be the great place we are if it wasn't for people who came from outside overseas, took a leap of faith and came to this country. And so many came without money, with anything, and many came without relatives. Yeah. And I could just imagine you, you're a young... So Sydney, big place they'd never been to. Where did you move into? Well, we initially went to St Mary's and then we went to Croydon Park, but we settled in Punchbowl. And 
dad bought the, our first house in Bankstown. So I grew up in Bankstown. Now, you know. What was that like? Because many people listening to this today wouldn't know where Bankstown is or what it was like. So how would you describe it? I know it's on the outside of Sydney. Bang, Bankstown is southwest of Sydney. It's about, I don't know, half an hour's drive from the CBD. Mm. It's on the train line. Um, growing up back then, uh, it was a multicultural, um, very working class area. Not overly multicultural. It was predominantly Greek and Italian. And then mid to late 70s, uh, um, big influx of uh, mm. Lebanese cousins came in. Um, post the civil war in Lebanon. Um, but growing up there, Rob, it was fantastic. It was unique. We were the only, we were literally the only Indian family yeah. in Bankstown in the late sixties, early seventies. And whilst it came with some great opportunities, there were some issues, you know, mm. no one had seen a, you know, my mother was like you, white skin, blue eyes, light coloured hair, not grey, but light coloured hair. Silver. Silver, distinguished. Um, distinguished. And there she was with this little coloured boy. Um, and, and that brought some questioning around because I was a lot darker than I am now. Um, but it was great. I loved growing up in that part of town. Um, if I had to ask you, knowing what I know about Punchbowl and Bankstown and those areas, if someone said to you, what was the best thing about growing up there? What would it have been? And how was school? It would have been the opportunity that that area gave you both um, um, academically mm -hmm. uh, through the schools that I, yeah. that I went to and, and sporting wise. And, and I'm a sport nut. I played, I've played a lot of sport during my life. And, you know, I was the first Indian guy to play for Bankstown in cricket. And I played with the War Brothers. We grew up as kids together. For some reason, they went a little bit ahead of me. I don't know why, but that comes back to the Indian culture of study, study, study. So yeah. I had the opportunity to um, go to a, a public school, yep. Punchbowl Boys uh, High School, and... Um, did really well at sport at school level, did well yeah. at cricket, post, um, you know, representative level, played baseball at a representative level, played for New South Wales City versus country in baseball um, uh, in my uh, late teens. And I think just bangs down, we were all the same. Every Not struggling, that's the wrong word, looking for opportunities. And it was an environment that, bred opportunistic people, uh, particularly from a sporting perspective. Yeah, yeah. Gr the great sports people come from Bankstown and, mm. you know, um, but just academically too. We were, you know, you wanted to succeed as a migrant. And when I say, say a migrant, mm. both my parents, English was first language yeah. and, um, and not their second, but it was reinforced in our lives. You had to study and study hard, yeah. um, but you had to have that balance. And my parents instilled that in me to have that balance. So yeah, you got to study hard, but have an outlet, have sport as your outlet. And that area fostered that growth. So because it was a bit of a melting pot, 
no one really cared where you came from, what your colour of your skin was, as long as you could play sport and you, you'd studied hard and you were a good person. Would that be the best way to describe it? Oh, 100%. They did not care, you know, your name. You were, you were mixing with people with funnier names than me. Um, <laughs> as long as – the way they sought you out was if you could kick a ball, yep. if you could hit a ball, if you could play any sport, you broke down every single barrier in that community and you were regarded. I mean, when I was at school, hey, I was school captain in year 12 and I was the first Indian boy to become the school captain. The only Indian probably living in the Bankstown area and you were yeah. school captain. That's wild. And I was school captain and that was, you know, because I got stuck into sport. I did pretty, pretty well academically um, and that's the reward you get. So... You know, you hear a bad name about Bangstown and Punchbowl now, but it's different. Yes. Um, and that's the way life goes. But back mm. then, wow, what a place to grow up. Would never have changed it ever. That's great to hear. It's, it's, it's amazing when you hear people who love where they grew up because it has yeah. made them. I mean, yeah. people look back and what you believe and what you learn in those times have such a big effect as you, uh, you go on in life. So after Bankstown, Punchbowl Boys, you finished school. What happened to Reza then? Well, I wish I could have played cricket for Australia, Rob. Yeah. Um, my idea was to oh, study full-time and um, do a law degree and work on my cricket. Yeah. I did quite well at cricket, had a number of opportunities, got a chance to play in the Lancashire League in England. Wow. Um, but unfortunately, my parents said, no, continue studying. So um, um, I did. I had to listen to my parents. But I got a full-time job with Commonwealth Bank. And I did part-time study and, and stuff like that. And things just grew. So I did an undergraduate degree in mm -hmm. economics because my career advisor said the world needs economists. Well, that was the worst bit of advice I've ever received. But excuse and me for a second. I'm going to go back to that. You were, that would have been around the early 80s when you started school, started working at the Commonwealth Bank? Yeah. Yeah, I started on the 6th of December, 1981, that at the end of my year 12. Pre-internet? Yep. Pre-really anything. How does someone study uni by not going to uni and working full-time, that to the, today, a uni student today would look and go, how, how would I do that? How did, well, how did that oh, all work uh, back then? Okay, well, it's, it's really an easy way because we used to use this thing called a pen and a piece of paper to write our essay. So here was my, here's a snapshot of my week during semester. I would start work at 8 o'clock in the Commonwealth Bank at Pitt Street. It was in industrial relations. Work there till about 4 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Walk down to Wynyard, catch the bus to Macquarie Guinea. Mind you, I was living in Bankstown. So I catch a train from Bankstown to the city, work till 4 o'clock, mm -hmm. catch a bus from Wynyard to Macquarie University, mm -hmm. attend lectures from 6 o'clock till 9 o'clock at night, mm -hmm. 
then catch a bus from Macquarie University to Eastwood Station, catch a train from Eastwood to Strathfield, catch another train from Strathfield to Bankstown and walk home and I'd walk in the door at 11 o'clock at night. Wow. And I did, and that was my life. And that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday I had cricket training. And in the winter I used to have baseball training. So, And then you played sport all of Saturday, all of Sunday. So did that type of dedication make you appreciate you, your studies? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was not an A-grade student by any means of the imagination. I was lucky to pass, but I still passed because mm. I didn't, just didn't have time. No. Didn't have time to, you know, I couldn't say, oh, I think I'll skip lectures and look at the lectures online as you can today or not attend lectures at all. You had to go. You had to do your essays in the library and get a book off the shelf and reference it and all that. So, And again, yeah. there wouldn't have been many Indians. No, no, not at all. So not at all. So you were going against the flow just about everywhere you went, like Commonwealth Bank cricket, bank standing now at uni. You were pretty yeah, yeah. Break, you know, breaking a glass ceiling, if you call it. Exactly. I mean, the India, there was a, a very small Indian community, mm. but I remember growing up as a kid, you know, there were, in the early 70s, there was, would have been one or two Indian restaurants in the whole of Sydney, and they were in the city. So, um, yeah, it, w- it was unique, but it did make you appreciate things a lot more. It makes you appreciate things now a lot yeah. more. So, so, so after Commonwealth Bank, you've got your, you, I think you've got a master's now in economics. You told me before. Well, yeah, I've got a, I did a bachelor of economics, yeah. um, and then I couldn't cope with that travel to Commonwealth Bank and all that. Yeah. So I found, I got this little gig at Macquarie Uni itself, and um, just in as a, a sort of a junior budget accountant, stayed there for about 10 years. And whilst I was there, I did a master's, but from Southern Cross Uni Mm. uh, externally. And this is pre-internet as well. So they used to send you all your notes. And during that time, I got married. Uh, I had two kids then. I've got Mm. three kids now. Um, I had two, you know, little boys when I was doing my master's, working full-time. Well, I was working full-time. Uh, I was a part-time tutor in accounting and studying a master's in accounting with two little boys. So I gave up sport before I had kids. So I thought I can't do it all. But I had a very supportive, well, ex-wife now, but she's still a really good friend of mine. That's great. Extremely supportive, uh, a wife um, who who let me do that. So, yeah, and it paid off. And I went from Macquarie Uni, um, to um, 10 years there, and then I set up the New South Wales Institute of Sport um, with another guy called Michael Scott. Yes. He did all the sports side, yeah. uh, and I did the business side. So I was the inaugural business manager there Fantastic. out at out at Olympic Park yeah. and got to swim with Ian Thorpe, and this was pre-2000 Olympics. So I was yeah. there from 96 to... 96 to about 98, Um, and it was fabulous. Fantastic job. What's your fondest memory of those times? Actually being involved with the coaches 
and athletes mm. and seeing how these people applied their skill and their talent to achieving success. So we talk about, you know, we work hard mm. to, to achieve an outcome. These people, these elite athletes, both the coaches and the athletes, male and female, go to levels you don't comprehend. Mm. They sacrifice so much in their life to achieve Olympic greatness yeah. for some of them. And I loved it. And I was honoured to be part of that little community and we became a family Mm. so we would go to people's houses and and celebrate you know there i am thinking i'm the i'm the business manager and i've got you know the the head of australian diving chava sabrina saying oh come over for a bite to eat you know he's a an ex-olympic olympic champion with mexico and just it blew my mind to be part of that so when you, when you look back at that, I think after that you went into a government role eventually, didn't you? you were... I did. I, I left that and I went into, I was there, went into the Australian Film, Television and Radio School as you. the director. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as the director of corporate and student services yeah. and um, CFO as well. So I did that for eight years. And that it too. Stars? Yeah, I did. I did. I met a number of people. Um, I got to, it was interesting. Our head of producing was a lady called, who's passed away now, a lady called Mm. Pat Lovell. And Pat was um, Miss Pat and Mr. Squiggle. So an ABC icon. And Pat Pat Lovell was also the producer of um, Gallipoli and Picnic at Hanging Rock. And she and I became good friends. And I remember one day she rang me up and said, come out the front. I need you to meet someone. And um, mm-hmm. I went out and there was Anthony LaPaglia. And um, I'm looking at Anthony LaPaglia and his wife, Gia Carides, was there. And she goes, gosh, you look like my husband. So I'll come closer to the camera. So if you look at me and you look at Anthony LaPaglia, there's a bit of similarity. Um, you got the same bank account? Uh no, I've got about five zeros less. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, but that was, again, um, during that time, uh, being involved with people who are so dedicated to their craft of filmmaking and radio and TV, mm. in five years, in the eight years I was there, in the first five years, we had three short films that were nominated in the short film category for the Academy Awards. Now, that's unheard of. We were the number two film school in the world. And so, and and my job was to make sure we were financial enough that students were coming in and, you know, going down to Senate estimates. I got to do eight lots of Senate estimates when I was there. And and the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, nothing could go wrong with us. Everyone Mm. loved us because we were a good news story. So it was a great time, really, really enjoyable time. Now, I hear these days you're a consultant using all the skills you've built up uh, over your life from university and all that. But outside of work, when I'm sitting there coaching someone, quite often I like to delve into what they do outside as a stress relief or something that makes their heart sing. I do know one thing, and I'm going to ask you what else you do, but a little birdie told me that, if anyone is around the SCG during summer, 
quite often there is a gentleman that looks very much like you with a couple of mates sitting in the members or the ladies discussing Australian cricket. Is uh, Am I far from it? Well, I don't know who the little birdie is, but you've pretty well hit it on the head. I, I, I have a pilgrimage to the Sydney Cricket Ground. I've been a member for... Oh, I'd say 30 plus years now mm. and um, I've gone to every Sydney test. Mm. I go to as much cricket and being and playing cricket at the level that I played at and with the, the people like the War Brothers, um, I love the game. And it's not, it's, it's the skill, but it's the camaraderie. I will go to the cricket and I will see guys that I played against and with maybe 30, 40 years ago and they'll yeah. go, hey, Reza, I remember you. You played yeah. for Bankstown, blah, blah, blah. Or people who I hadn't seen for many years. I, yeah. You know, I'll stick something up on Facebook and they, so I'll, be, I'll get this comment out of the blue. Oh, I'm at the cricket. I'm going, oh, I'm at the cricket too. Where are you sitting? In the ladies' stand. Oh, whereabouts in the ladies' stand? Row K. Oh, I'm in row J. Bingo. <laughs> I catch up with someone who I haven't seen for 30 years. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm, also on the, I'm also on the board of Bankstown Cricket too. Yeah. And at 7 o'clock tonight, we've got a meeting. Oh. So, I, I love the game. But um, for me, it, it's, it, it transcends a lot of things. It's, mm. it's the camaraderie. It's the skill. But um, it's just, yeah, it's it's my outlet. But, you know, I have a few other outlets as well. Well, that's where I'm going to take you right now. I love to hear what people do outside of work. A lot of people look at you and go, okay, he's a university graduate. He's, he does economics. He loves his cricket. He's got a you know, love a couple of boys. He's got three kids now. But there's always something hidden behind that people do that makes their hearts sing. What is it that gets you up in the morning? What is it that, that really makes your heart sing? You absolutely love doing. You know, um, I um, I was a very senior executive in the public service. Mm-hmm. Um, then took a package, did a little consultancy with a medica- medication management company, yep. and now I work for CSIRO, and I'm on a three-year gig there, doing property and and. And working with an organisation like that is just mind-blowing. But um, a lot of my friends, I don't tell this to a lot of my friends, you know, my friends know I love my music, I love film, Mm. I'm a trivia buff, all that kind of sport, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, But what, what has changed me over the last three years is I do this little program um, called, um, building young men mm-hmm. it's um, a mentoring program for um, boys between the ages of 15 and 17 mm-hmm. uh, out in the Penrith area it's run by the Penrith Panthers yeah. uh, building young men program and it's basically becoming a role model for those boys it's mentoring and providing um, a good role model for, for, for those boys. Some of those boys don't have parents. Mm. Some of those boys whose fathers aren't necessarily around. Some of those boys uh, just want to have a, a male role model um, yeah. in their life different from their father. Yep. Now, that role 
we, we, we don't judge people. We don't tell them what to do. Mm. We don't, um, we're not critical. We're mm -hmm. supportive. And the way we support them is through our stories of life. Exactly what I'm telling you yeah. is what they want to learn. So really? they want to learn that, uh, um, uh, you know, this little ethnic kid out in the Western suburbs um, worked hard, did this, played sport, was X, Y, and Z, mm. and be achieved this in life. So mm. they can go, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. So it's it's a very advanced program, 20-week program. They mm -hmm. do it through their school. Yep. Um, and there's usually about eight mentors per group. So eight males like me, yeah. we vary in age. And, you know, we've got deputy CEOs of companies. We've got doctors, lawyers, engineers awesome. who, who predominantly we all grew up in the Western suburbs. Yeah. Um, and we succeeded as best as we could and we're imparting our stories. So uh, how did Rob, you get there? How did you get involved? I, I had a period of retirement or semi-retirement yeah, where yeah. I was playing golf three days a week, tennis two days a week, going to a cafe and actually reading a book. Mm. And that was my life. And one of my mates, um, rang me up and just said, what are you doing with your life? And I'm going, well, I'm actually enjoying it very much. Thank you very much. And he goes, no, what are you really doing? You know, yeah. you've done all this. Isn't it about time you gave back? And I entered the program, did my TAFE course and yeah. in, in mentoring and stuff. And um, I've never enjoyed this particular activity more, I, I've just enjoyed it more than any work experience, any friendship experience, any sporting experience that I've ever done. Because I look at these boys, I look at my sons, and I've got three boys, 27 to 20, uh, all good boys, all successful in their own ways. One's got mental illness, so I know how to deal with that. But um, I think I think I've been an okay far. I was a single dad for you know, 20 years. Um, but, and they've done really well. And I look at these boys and I'm going, you know what, maybe there's something I can help them with. And to just see these boys who come into the program in week one, to see what leaves at week 20 is this transformation. And it's the best feeling you can, you can see possibly get. Oh yeah. Look, I love it. I absolutely Love it. So do you think everything you've learned through life from, you know, the two-year-old Indian kid in punch bowl going through uni and the, what, I mean, you had a chance to get through uni. You can't get away from that. You showed a lot of determination where a lot of kids would have thrown the towel in. They wouldn't have done what you did. And all your mm -hmm. success, that has made you probably a really, really good mentor for these kids. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, you know, there's nothing insurmountable in life. I mean, um, when people say, oh, I'm really busy, you're not. You're not saving. I, I don't save lives. I'm not uh, a doctor in the emergency ward trying to save people's lives. I'm not making life-depending decisions. Mm. I do have time. It's, it's half a, it's, you know, 
two or three hours, one day a week in the afternoon. Yeah, it's out at Penrith, but big deal. I've got a car. Mm -hmm. But to see how you can transform these young lives from where they are going and put them on hopefully the right path is quite enlightening for me. And it's made me a better person. That's so, awesome, mate. That's, that is a fantastic story. Yeah. A uh, couple of quick, a couple more questions we're going to ask before we wrap up today. If you've uh, got someone who's 20 years old, I always ask this one, they've just finished their HSC, they're taking a year off before they decide what they want to do. What would you tell them? As in, not tell them what to do, but what, would, what advice would you give a 20-year-old you after everything you've been through? And the young fellow's walked up and you said, you know, Mr. Bulmora, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know where, where I'm going to go, if I'm going to do uni, I'm going to do TAFE. Can you give me a pointer? Okay, here's the pointer. As best as possible, don't think about it because if you think too hard, time will pass you by. You will let opportunities go. See what's in front of you immediately. If someone offers you a job, doesn't matter if it's a, you know, cashier at Coles or a whatever it is, do it. Do it right then. That's a cricket because, analogy you realise, don't you? Play the ball in front of you. Yeah. You play the ball on its merits. Do it right then and whilst you've got that going, whilst you're getting that money in, whilst you're building networks, yep. building skill, building friendships, building uh, collaboration techniques, all that kind of stuff, you can go home and think about what you want to do because a lot of your thought process will then push back to, I wouldn't mind getting into retail or I wouldn't mind getting into this. I wouldn't mind getting into that. Hmm. I wouldn't mind doing part-time study. Hmm. I think I'll do full-time study and a part-time job. Take what's presented to you immediately and then think. Because if you think and you think too long, that opportunity will let will just go pie completely. Look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've been guilty of that when I was younger mm. and I have let opportunity go. Yeah. And uh, didn't know it at the time. Mm. And uh, yeah, mate, you couldn't be, couldn't be more on. So my final question, you've got a uh, booking someone's made for you at the SCG in the top of the noble stand in Sydney. There's you and three seats. Who do you invite for lunch during the second test in Sydney? Who do you have lunch with? Doesn't matter if they're dead or alive, but who does Reza have lunch with? Okay. Reza has lunch with the following. And it might be and a why. cricket or whatever. And why? Okay. Um, first person I would have lunch, uh, I would say, reading out, Michael Parkinson, how are you going? Come and have a bite to eat with me i know he's a cricket tragic the stories that he could tell me about people and he has interviewed everyone mm, he has yeah 
I would just be like a, a kid in a lolly shop. So he's number one. Number two would be um, Lady Gaga. Now, Why Lady I'm not Gaga? a... Uh, she has a beautiful voice. I love music. She has a, a gorgeous voice. But beyond that, and what's been going on lately in, in the States and in mm. the world, the, the craziness of the world, she speaks so convincingly and authoritatively. I just think, think she, she has a greater life. What she, what oh, she comes across. So she is this woman with... I think she can influence the world. I just think mm. she's a brilliant human being. And, you know, and because I love music, I'd say, oh, give us a song as well, will you? Mm. Bit of entertainment. Third person um, would be Oprah Winfrey in terms of... That's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, she'd be on the Michael Parkinson type um, view about mm. the people... And it'd be good to compare the two, you know, an American and an, and an English person and, and how they would interact in terms of what their experiences are with people. Mm. Um, look, and um, my fourth, and this is where my bias, and it's not a cricket bias because film is my bias. Mm. I would actually have Clint Eastwood. Now I'll tell you why I have people say, oh, you're a Republican. <laughs> I'm not a Republican. Clint Eastwood is a gentleman who is a good actor. He actually writes the scripts. He directs the films. He does the the, the soundtracks for his films. So he writes the themes and things yes, like he that. Does. He produces the film. So yes. he's a magnificent all-rounder. And so take away, I'm looking at the all-round skill of the, the, the individual so, mm. um, and being able to do all that, um, I'd, I'd be again, like a kid in a lolly shop. Tell me about this film. Tell me about that music score. Tell me about how you did produce this. Tell me when you were mayor of Carmel. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't have a sporting person. I do I love sport, but, yep. um, um, sport is, is great but um, I want to learn more about other people. So they're my four they're dinner guests. So what next for Reese? Well, what next? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> depending on what is the weather is. Lords? Is it a oh, look, job? You know? Rob, um, I've got this good little gig with CSRO and the project, whilst I've only got three years, I think the project will go for another three years beyond oh, that. So, yeah. um, but, you know what? I'm I'm in a very good place. I've got a fantastic partner, Emma. We've set up a house in Sydney's Northern Beaches area. Um, she's got three kids. They're a lot younger than mine, mm. and my boys have my boys are adults. So mm. I've got a another role, so to speak. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but. Travel is on the agenda once <laughs> once <laughs> the world improves. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'd like to go back to the homeland one day. Awesome. Not that I've got that uh, over-attraction with India. I'd like to see where I was born and, yeah. you know, and um, I think I'll be doing a little bit more of helping people because in the world that we are at the moment, I don't think you can help people enough. 
Les, I can honestly say uh, it's been a most amazing interview with you today. Very surprising from my side. I've learned so much about you that wasn't on your resume and what I couldn't find about you on the internet. Uh, I think what you've achieved is amazing. I mean, your story is a role model for anyone coming to Australia. It doesn't matter from when it was 1966 or 2026. If someone looks back and uh, listens to your story and sees what you have achieved, it just proves that if you put the work in, you can achieve anything you want. It's been an absolute pleasure, as I've said, to uh, have you on the show today. You take care and uh, we'll catch up soon. Rob, an absolute pleasure. Good luck with the podcast series. I look forward to hearing other great stories and um, thanks for reaching out. No worries. Catch you next time.